Hello and welcome to another edition of the Statsborn Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knutson. What are we doing today, Ted? We are reader-powered. We are reader-powered. It's the classic, <laughs> it's the international week, uh, sec- second leg of the international weeks. Uh, so uh, let's take it elsewhere, you know, the, the Premier League and such will be back at the weekend. And we'll be back talking about that more in general, I'm sure, then. But yeah, we put a call out for questions and people are always very keen to ask questions. And Ted's done the decent thing and shuffled a few into some order. And yeah, we're going to rattle through them and see where we end up. So let's not mess around. Let's get on with it. The basic order here today is going to be stats bomb questions. So general stuff about us and the business. And then we're going to cover a bit of Premier League stuff. We're going to get into analysis questions. We do a lot of analysis on the consulting side. We do a lot of analysis internally. Uh, People ask us questions all the time about that. And then we're going to wrap up a little bit with some stuff about the championship. Yeah. so there we go. Although I did spot that we've got a La Liga question in there, but that doesn't do. matter. That's we fine. Can, we'll move that up to the Premier League. It's like the Premier League. <laughs> it's okay. People will enjoy their content in whatever format it arrives. Okay, right. So Stats Bomb. First question. Uh, someone's asked, will there be an official package like Stats Bomb are for those of us that prefer Python? Not an official package, I would say. Um, there's some stuff out there from Peter McKeever, who's done some some cool stuff. Um, but we don't really operate in Python directly. And a lot of the stuff in SASBOMR has been on our data scientist, Derek's free time. So we're probably not going to double that up uh, for Python. But, you know, people are doing stuff on it uh, already. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Let's never say never on that because, you know, the, the people, People have shown a lot of interest in a lot of his work, and you know, used StatsBombR and worked out how to, uh, you know, create things themselves. And yeah, you know, the community's embraced the free data really, and you know, done lots of good things already. Um, I love StatsBombR; it's really good. <laughs> it's it's really good for getting into the data and uh, and actually turning it into a format that you can you can do things with. Uh, so. <laughs> so I'm not going to dis- dissuade anyone from uh, Ted. I'm, it's my profession. I, I'm oh, pro- right. professionally right. obliged to learn this stuff. But no, it's um, it's definitely. I, I'd advise anyone to get in- into that, like quite simply, if you just want to get into the data. But yeah, you know, there are li- a couple of little Python things out there, and you know, if anyone's out there thinks, "Hey, I tell you what, I could build a Python thing," then go for it. Feel free. You know, it's not impossible. Right, next question. Why can't there be an option for paid advanced stats like Synergy or Cleaning the Glass in NBA? So we're a startup, and one of the complicated things about being a startup is figuring out which market you are serving to, um, which business you serve to. And right now, because we're small, like we have to focus on certain market segments. And the market segments we focus on primarily is teams. Uh, as, as people know, like we've got PSG as a client, a very large sort of league federation as a client that we've been doing some cool projects for. Hopefully it'll come out towards, uh, towards the holidays. Um, but we cannot spend the time kind of building uh, a pure consumer app like this type of thing right now. At some point we might, but at this moment, you know, we have to, we have to stay on target with, with what we, we need to do. Because despite the fact that we have a lot of people across the entire company, we just don't have that much bandwidth to, to take on new stuff or different stuff. Like we need to focus on, on you know, the bigger projects. And some of the bigger projects are pretty kick-ass, right? Mm, uh, yeah. We've got this project for the league stuff that we hopefully will talk about at some point. <clears throat> We've got uh, the goalkeeper module that is in test right now. And the first bit of it will be released later this week. Uh, next bit will be released probably early next week, which will include goalkeeper radars. Um, <laughs> um, Derek's working on some stuff for holistic ball progression. Um, that's that's kind of an interesting one. Like I've seen Mark Mark Taylor do a lot of stuff on non-shot XG over on InfoGoal. Um, Daniel Altman back in the day was doing stuff with this. Like different people actually were doing stuff with this, um, but. We decided to postpone all that work because we knew that pressure was coming. And the concept of non-shot XG and how difficult an action was is totally different whether you're being pressed or not being pressed. <clears throat> so we kind of look at it in some slightly different terms. There are so many different ways you can approach this. Uh, ours should be out, you know, maybe end of the year, beginning of next year. Uh, development side, we've got a number of cool things going on too. Um, you know, you're working on 
after this set of reports, like we've got uh, unveiling actions in pressure, under pressure and making that cleaner and more obvious, both in IQ and also to, to people out there, potentially in the media world, because we think this is massive. It changes how you look at football. Um, and then uh, the big thing like in development after the goalkeeper stuff is uh, is what we call engine room. And engine room is our tactic suite. And we kind of built a little bit of it uh, last year before the data. And then we knew that data would just change everything. So like we have uh, engine room 2.0 that goes into development, I would guess at the end of this month-ish and will be probably released in January. And it it's going to change how people evaluate football. Like that's that's the point behind it. And I think everything we've said to this point has basically been true. So you might as well believe us. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there is lots. There is lots coming. That's for sure. And we have got a, a long list of uh, projects to to tackle and overcome. Just to throw it back to uh, the question about you know the option for advanced paid stats. Um, sorry, advanced. Uh, yeah, stats. Uh, kind of individual license stuff it's definitely there's some there's definitely a slight cultural thing about it as well isn't there i mean like i think in u.s sports it's 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 been it's far more embedded as well i mean you've got you've got kind of tens of years of of kind of uh development rather than you know relatively new kind of it's really only this decade that's in football's kind of embraced advanced stats so you know, data access is very different too. Like usually, yeah. the, in the U.S. sports, the leagues are funding and allowing people to have access to that uh, that data, and it actually it manages to power a bunch of analysis. It kind of um, sort of trains up the the next wave of an analyst to work in the sport. Uh, that isn't happening so much in football right now. We often are the ones that are sort of teaching and training the next wave of analysts, and to some extent, coaches, which I've been like sort of intrigued and um, you know. I find it very heartening that we have this next generation of coaches that just kind of have naturally taken to this type of stuff as the smartest way to learn, and and that's how how they go about it. So like we've had some influence on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had interactions with um, club club people over time, especially younger ones, and they're they're significantly interested in in you know what data can do for them, and that's you know that's just going to evolve over time. There's there's no doubt about it, and you know we'll, we'll create you know kind of more of a buy-in towards you know towards kind of statistical analysis and using data to examine trends and you know where where will we be 20 years from now when we've got decades of data and you know all this kind of <laughs> spin <laughs> rates be... definitely spin rates exit velocity trajectory off the bat <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The kind of minutiae that we're not even really kind of looking at now. We'll be we'll be looking at those kind of things. Like, yeah, how do you hit a ball? <laughs> what kind of laces have you got in your boots? <laughs> kind of. Ooh, I I had like all sorts of fascinating ideas about that. I'm I'm looking forward to that phase of of stats bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Right, what's the next question we got then? Can you give us the sanitized spiel of Statsbomb rise to prominence through different European leagues? And what are your headline financial numbers and growth rates for the last few years? Yeah, okay. Well, we're not going to give you a financial report. <laughs> that would be a bit... That'd be a slightly different... That's a different podcast. <laughs> private podcast and also a bit <laughs> dull content. Well, I, I mean, so the, there's like things going on here, right? So like Statsbomb IQ... Um, started from zero in February of 2017, February, March. Um, we had a couple of customers take us up very early on that. And, you know, thank you very much to them because it, it helped us continue to grow. Um, yeah, there was there was a period of time, uh, I guess, summer of 2017, where I wasn't sure if we were going to succeed at all. Just honestly, you know, we weren't growing uh, as fast as we wanted to. Uh, we're big ticket sort of software service, data as a service, and um, it takes time for customers to convert. And the toughest part, I think, about this business is it takes teaching for customers to convert. They need to not only understand why your value proposition is better than somebody else's value proposition, but also why you, um, you know, why they should spend this amount of money on this thing that they're not spending on, for the most part. Like, that's what football is. And then there's the other element in Europe where it's linguistic as well. Like you need to teach them in their own language, um, which we haven't done a very good job of, but maybe we'll we'll move towards that at some point. Um, so like that's the big the big start, and that's that's my IQ early on. Um, then we got a very large customer towards the end of uh, 2017, and it felt like you know things were kind of going fairly well. And then we got a couple more um, 
on beginning of 2018 that also were quite interested in the data. And the data thing, I think, is the the big difference between year one and year two. Just simply the it's a totally different company now. Like we're not just providing analytics and some consultancy. Like we have developed what we think is the best event data in the world. We're producing something like a thousand extra data events per Premier League match. And it's not just, you know, what colors the referee's hair, but, you know, pressure off the ball stuff, 300 plus events off the ball on average per Premier League match where guys are defending. Like that's useful from a tactical perspective. It's useful from a player analysis perspective. I'm pretty sure that we screwed up a big transfer this summer because one of our customers realized that their player was a lot more valuable than they originally had thought and maybe than their coach had thought. And suddenly the data said, hey, this guy actually does a lot of work. Um, And and they they changed their mind a little bit or they adjusted their perception because of it. So like data is ongoing, as I said, we you know the PSG has been announced. So like that that I think is is super cool. Um, and then there's all sorts of other deals that aren't announced. But you know it's it's slow, uh, just because like that's how the sport is. I someone asked me yesterday. I think Neil Charles asked uh, how many sort of real data departments are in uh, in England right now. And I said across the top three divisions, I think there's. <clears throat> Probably 10 plus, um, you know, I'm not going to name them, but I have a pretty clean idea about most of them. And quite a number of them are actually in the Premier League. And the Premier League has changed a lot in the last two years. Uh, so that's happening, you know, as as you can see, like we have someone large in France. We're talking to other places um, and, and Statsbound's moving along. But, you know, we're just getting started and we're just started a, a significant fundraise. Uh, first time we've done that. We've been kind of um, bootstrapped since the beginning uh, <clears throat> and that will help us continue to grow and we've got some really cool ideas on what to do with that but uh, it's funny to, to look back at basically a year ago a little over a year ago when I was starting to go around to different data companies and look for a partner uh, someone to help us with this stuff and didn't get like much I don't know if it was respect but it was just that like we couldn't find anybody that that made sense um, or that, you know, had the, the time to listen to us because they're quite busy too. And I understand that. Um, but on the flip side, like at that point, it just convinced me that doing this ourselves was the right choice. And we were going to do what it took to, to develop the best data that we possibly could for ourselves and for others. And, uh, and yeah, I think back to the, there's a, there's a part in, in Tombstone. Have you seen Tombstone, James? No. Oh, okay. Oh, it's a great Western. <laughs> uh, Kirk, Kirk Russell. Uh, plays Wyatt Earp, and uh, and it's kind of a career, like one of many great career turns from from Val Kilmer as uh, as Doc Holliday. Um, but there's a part of it at the end of it where like Wyatt's been pushed too far, and he's like, you tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. And I, I always feel like you know competitively, like that's the point that I I get to at a certain point. Very chilled <laughs> out for a really long time, and then suddenly I'm like, look, we're gonna do this, and we're not gonna fuck around anymore, and we're gonna make this happen, and. And I talked to someone in the wearables industry and he's like, how the hell did you do this in a year? And I said, well, we just don't fuck around, you know, like we got to the point that we couldn't couldn't tolerate it anymore. And and we just went and did it. And and that's where we're at. He's like, yeah, I guess you did. So that's where Statsbomb's at now. And it's been it's been great. You've been here a year, James. What do you think? Yeah, loads of change. It's, It's quite fascinating how like what we were and what we are now and the transition between the two and the relentless power of change you know but it's good uh i can't can't speak highly enough of my year in the statsborn employ it's been really good and um yeah long may it continue we've got you know as, as ted just described plenty more ideas and things going on and of course part of that was the reboot of the website so all you readers and listeners uh, get more get more content and more um more podcasts as well <laughs> that's, yeah, that's we a redesign coming uh, i should say like mike mike goodman's done a really good job since he he came and uh, and took over managing editor since we fired james from that role <laughs> yeah <My laughs> ongoing joke we didn't actually gone. fire james <laughs> yeah that was it it's over anyway um, let's move on from this <laughs> sorry J- james is uncomfortable now <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is it my 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 poor job that went to someone else. anyway um <laughs> Now we're on to a quick bit of Premier League stuff because everyone likes a bit of Premier League, don't they? So, um, and this is a recurrent recurrent topic uh, because uh, T- Ted was high on this team to start with. Then they've not been so good. 
But you've been quite confident that they can come good later on. Anyway, someone asks, how long can Fulham be bad for and still stay up? Now, I've got a quick idea on this. Now, my theory is um, they can they can be this bad, well, possibly not quite this bad for a while, but where they're different from a lot of teams is when they do face uh, rivals for like the lower slots, they do have goal power. Now, their defence doesn't look good at all, but it feels a bit Bournemouth. If you look at Bournemouth's uh, numbers over the last couple of seasons, and they've always had, had a relatively kind of open style, and it's meant their expected goals against has often been, been horrible, much not as bad as Fulham's is right now, but generally quite poor. But they've always um, been able to you know, grind out, well not grind out results, kind of sweep past their rivals at times and uh, pick up enough points. So I'm tempted to think that Fulham... Little bit of improvement, yes, that would be helpful. But also, I think they'll probably just about keep their noses above water by just having enough attacking power, regardless of, uh, you know, they'll still get trashed by very good teams, like everyone will. But anyway, that's my working theory at the moment. No, I'm with you. I my, I would have said exactly the same thing. I said the difference between them and the teams that you think have a pretty strong chance of getting relegated is simply in the attack. And Fulham can attack, and if they play... Uh, sort of the middle of the table down like they've got a decent chance to come out with three points as opposed to like one point and that has a pretty big impact on your your expectation at the end of the year they do have to shore up the defense i think that they will get tighter as the season goes on uh so like you know if it looks like this at christmas maybe there are some worries but hmm. you know they're not in the relegation spots right now after eight games they've still got you know, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a buffer and and uh, I think that they'll they'll stay up this year. They have to. They spent so much money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, next few games, they've, they, among the next few games, they've got Cardiff, Bournemouth, uh, Huddersfield, Southampton. All games that you know that they they will have to look to get points in. But um, yeah, I, I'm still I'm not high on Fulham. But I mean, I think their attacks their attack rates tenth in the league, and their defence rates rock bottom. Pick pick the middle point between that and you've got 15th. If they ended up 15th, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But you know, strange things have happened. <laughs> so yeah, they could they could stay being quite bad or appear quite bad, but but um, be okay. Right, what's our next question? Next question: Thoughts on the rumor of Arsenal interest in Kai Havertz and Ismailis Sar? Are we finally going to get? I think it's Ismailis Sar. There are a lot of Sars, so that wasn't clear, but. Uh, are we finally going to get the Dortmund youth way from Mislintat? Is that a good thing to hear? Well, let's start, let's let's hope so because I think it's Arsenal's recruitment's been far too far too edging towards the older player, too experienced, uh, James. Mm, just just when they probably have enough experience, if we're looking at say year two for you know Arsenal's reboot, then I would certainly endorse them going after. That the types of player described in the question, let's say. I really like Kai Havertz. Uh, I got a chance to to work with uh, Roger Schmidt um, in preseason uh, at Leverkusen one year, and and Havertz and and Benny Hendricks were both on the team, and uh, and like Havertz didn't look like he was seventeen at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the the most telling thing. I was like, "Who's the the tall kid up front that you had playing like as an attacking mid?" It's like, "Oh, that's Kai Havertz. He he just came out of the academy." I was like, "How old is he? 17. I said, "That's amazing because I thought that he was just like you know some twenty one year old that you guys had stuck in there, and he didn't look out of place." And that was like kind of an incredible thing because like usually that doesn't happen. Uh, be- between him and Benny Hendricks, who had who was not a fullback, he was like an attacking midfielder before, um, who came out of their academy as well and was like the academy player of the year. Like Leverkusen had some really interesting young talent, but the problem like for that last Schmidt year was like there's some ward behind the scenes, and it felt like you know the midfield never got settled, and they bought Dragovic, who was slow, who you can't play as a center back in like the. The Schmidt stuff, and they had some some like debilitating injuries for certain players as well that meant that they they just you know they were on the books but they couldn't play. So it was kind of a, a mishmash of stuff. Um, anyway, I'm a big fan of, of Havertz. Um, Saar also I think is is quite a promising young player. Uh, Arsenal need to get younger. Like it almost seems like they can't really buy much peak. Um, I think this is actually a good time to to answer that La Liga question. How much do you rate Rodri at, at Letty and 
I feel he would be appreciated at a team progressing, playing more progressive football. Now, you have some expertise in this because of a project that we did. Yeah, I like Roger. I think he's really handy. I mean, I watched watched a fair bit of him um, some while ago, and he's just that he's just that kind of link player that just just keeps everything really simple, and but just keeps the ball moving and like makes makes life easier for like the players around him. And I can understand why someone might might not see why he'd fit particularly brilliantly at Atletico. But I yeah, the the I can see him ideally fitting in uh you know a, a possession team like like Arsenal. Um I think the so when Nikos and I looked at it, we we looked at Rodri and and Fabian Ruiz and we're basically like, look, there's there's the Arsenal midfield right right there. Just like buy those two guys, put them in the same midfield, and let them grow together for like the next five to ten years, and you'll have like this this awesome midfield that that will be stable for a long time. It could have been Rodri and and Torreira as well uh, as sort of like the, like the perfect young midfield base. Um, I do think that he fits better in a team that's more progressive than Atleti, but I think he'll also learn a lot from Simeone and potentially end up. Yeah, should he move on from there, potentially be like a very good player somewhere else that can go a lot of different ways. Kind of that that full multi-featured um, Spanish midfielder that is a bit like Rakitic is. You know, Rakitic can play so many different roles. I think Rodri will probably come out of this as, as a number of different roles and be a better player. We loved him, though. I absolutely loved him. Yeah, yeah. We, we found him when he was had a 12 million euro release clause too. So if you're <laughs> if you're a team out there that wants to to know who can find talent early and save you a lot of money, well, there you go. Yeah, I like Ruiz as well. Ruiz was quietly the guy I was hoping that Tottenham would come in for in the summer, but that didn't happen. And it doesn't matter now because Tottenham's midfield of Harry Winks and Eric Dyer shit housed their way to a win in Spain last night. So, <laughs> you know, no problems with Tottenham's midfield. That's all solved. England Actually, there, there was a question on this. Uh, it was from an anonymous person that said, are England going to get relegated from their Champions League or their uh, Nations League group? Yeah, they, you'd have said yes up until last night. And <laughs> someone I, someone knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, who we got next then? So why are Palace struggling to score and how can they solve it? Ball progressor lost, Ruben lost his loftus cheek. Now I had a quick look at this because um, we do do some research like at times, but <laughs> uh, I thought I'd, I'd have a look at this. Palace have got some weird stuff going on, right? They've scored five goals, I think. Is it five goals? Anyway, they at least their shot map this morning. They haven't scored a single goal from within the width of the six-yard box. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? That's just huh. some wildness. So, I, like, I'm that cat that's like wildly <laughs> typing right now because I want to bring up their 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 gold charts. <laughs> it's just weird. It was I was looking at it. I even checked it. Uh, you know, double checked it kind of thing because it was like that can't be right. It's like no, they've scored five goals all from wider than the six yard box. So at least part of what's going on with Palace is perception and some ridiculously uh, unfortunate run of, of failing to score from the centre of the box I and Christian Benteke well, he might be him a bit it tends to be him a bit doesn't it but, I've never seen this like, I'm not sure that we've seen some guy he basically has the yips right it feels uh, it, this way. is the football equivalent of the yips where he's on he's on year two of getting into good positions and just not scoring goals yeah it's it's bizarre to put Palace's shot mark. It doesn't look like they've, they have got created a, a large volume of shots inside but the thing is this, they've I can understand like the idea about ball progression, but I think when you've got like Townsend and uh, Zahar, I'm still not as high on Zahar as, as a lot of people are because I just don't. You look at you go through his numbers and you, you're looking for something apart from dribbles, you know, successful dribbles that like stands out, and that's a useful skill to have. You know, someone who can beat men, but I just I just don't see how he really contributes like um, kind of decisively. Uh, beyond that, he's got three goals this season, so obviously he looks and he's a top scorer. He looks like he's he's the man. But yeah, as far as like you know, knitting the team together, I I maybe they do just lack that one player that kind of that kind of does that. It's all a bit, it's all a bit. I don't know. Physical. It's it's a bit of ball progression, but it's really about unlocking, right? Like if you look at that shot chart, almost everything that they have that's that's inside of the penalty area, inside of the width of the six, is from headers, and those are actually really difficult chances, especially if the opposing team knows. 
that those are the chances that you're going to create because they just overload that spot. So like Palace probably score from wide on on breaks or, or completed dribbles or whatever. But yeah, they, they don't have someone to unlock the penalty box like a lot of the good teams. Actually, oddly enough, Liverpool had problems with this up until last year. Uh, it was when um, Coutinho was out. They didn't really seem to have anybody that could like mm. do that unlocking job. Um, it's important. And you know, Palace for years, like, we're on probably year three, where they just have had real difficulty building a coherent squad. Uh, and I think that you still see that there's some mix. Roy's done a good job there. Uh, no question. He's, he's getting a lot out of what exists. And their defense is very stable. So if they can figure out an attack or get a little bit of extra talent to help unlock um, the center of the box, whether that's midfield or someone that passes a little better than like an Andros Townsend slash Zaha, then, then that's going to probably help them out and make sure that they're, they stay up again. Yeah, and you know, possibly Loftus Cheek was his part. I looked at his numbers, and like he he looks, he didn't like particularly stand out from from the rest of the squad last season. I don't think so. I I I wouldn't necessarily say that losing Loftus Cheek was was decisive. So yeah, it's partly just the way they set up, partly the personnel, and um, I do like Loftus Cheek though. Bad luck. Yeah, no, I I do, but. I'm not sure whether he's, you know, the lack of Loftus Cheek is a decisive factor in this. He has a big problem, and he's still not playing. Like that dude needs to be playing full time right now. Um, Relates to that, uh, Chala- uh, oh, I can't remember his name. Nathaniel Chalabala is that his name? Chalaba. That's it. <laughs> he's played one like a minute or something, <laughs> four minutes or something for Watford, and then like casts up case like, no, he's my he's my guy. I'm going to bring him on in against Spain. It's like this genuine problem with these these kind of like uh, young players trying to transition into like regular football and and yeah, struggling for time at not always the huge clubs, sometimes at uh, you know smaller clubs too. So I just realised that Dean Smith finally gets to play with Tammy, Tammy Abraham. Ah. <laughs> Stories from my last year at a, at, at, at Brentford. Like we thought that the Tammy was like the best possible player that we could get for our attack on loan. Uh, hadn't played professional minutes. He'd been in the Chelsea Academy, but but Nikos and I and uh, a guy named Mark Mark Andrews were just hugely high on him. Felt like he he could do everything, and they ended up being like basically Bristol City's Player of the Year, um, Young Player of the Season at age nineteen, and then he got this weird loan to to Aston Villa, uh, but now Dean Smith has moved there instead of Steve Bruce, so now Dean finally gets to have Tammy at the spearhead of an attack, although he's losing Neil Mopai, who's been the best player in that league, so... <laughs> we'll come to the championship in a little bit, but let's um, well, let's bounce some analysis questions. Ooh, ooh. Right, so what have we got then? Which individual player is the biggest surprise in the numbers so far? Have you got anyone for this? I've, I've, I've got someone. I think I blanked out, so go ahead. I got David Brooks, I think. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, because after about three games, I was like skipping through all our charts and stuff, and it's like, oh, who's this? what's this? His <laughs> chart looks rather good. And, um, and then I looked at it the other day, and it's like, oh, this is cooled off a little bit, but it's, but it's solid enough. And this is impressive for a, a young kid, first season in the Premier League. Um, I think he's keeping eye about the team as well. And I, I, I thought I was okay last season. So, um, you know, finally had turned into a you know a, a contributor in in this division and um so yeah for a kid that his age to literally just land in you know a mid-range premier league team and do solid a solid job you know not not just the goals he's got but it looks like he's he's contributing pretty effectively to Bournemouth as a whole so definitely a player to play to watch I think for me Joshua King has uh has started scoring again. Is the, is the nation of Norway angry at you once more? <laughs> I'm sure he's got a penalty or two amongst all that lot. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, it could it could happen. He he could as long as he, as long as long as he matches or roughly matches his expected goals. I'm okay. He can do what he likes. It's when <laughs> it's when he doubles his expected goals that I, I feel like I need to wade in and uh, pass comment. But yeah, there's somebody okay. that I'm sure I've kind of forgotten that I thought earlier. Is has been better than I expected, and I probably didn't give them enough credit. Um, I think I think Vieto having four assists at Fulham already like pretty impressive. I I really liked him um, <clears throat> when he was younger and thought that he'd be a star. And I think Fulham have a chance to potentially recover like a guy that has really good talent. And then the one that I think I've been surprised at just how quickly he's been good has been James Madison. I I didn't expect Madison to just kind of settle immediately. Mm, yeah, he he does feel like he's you know taking the step up 
in his stride. I mean, Leicester, less, less they've got they've got a bit of talent in that side. You know, I, I watched, watched the England game last night. I like Chilwell. Chilwell looks a natural in his position. He, he, I do like Chilwell a lot. And he looks he looks quite mature, which is always it sounds it's the most <laughs> old football phrase you can get. But you know, when you just see a, a youngish player playing uh, as if you know as if they've been there their whole lives, it's it's reassuring. Someone tweeted me actually because I tweeted about it, and they were like, oh, "I thought he's twenty one. I thought he was one of these twenty seven year old guys that had, you know just been around forever and finally got their England call up." And it's like that's a good sign that you know you think you think you think he's older than he is. But the the guy I think I was sort of most singularly surprised by <clears throat> seeing him the first time this year is Aaron Juan Basaka at Crystal Palace. Mm. Uh, I watched that kid and I was like, "Holy!" This guy's he's really good. And, and that doesn't usually happen. Usually we've got an eye on on guys that, that come up and we've done a lot of the talent evaluation. But he just like was there all of a sudden and a complete revelation. He looks like a, a top six fullback easily right now. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, you know, being a uh, a decent quality fullback in the Premier League isn't always <laughs> there's not always that many of them around. I mean, they're, they're worth grabbing hold of if, if you can, I think, especially if you're one of the top six clubs. Fullback right. and uh, defensive midfield, I think, are probably the, the toughest jobs uh, at the Premier League level because people want everything from you. You have to do everything. You have to have good distribution. For fullbacks, you have to run up and down the pitch constantly, be involved in attacking and defending. you got to be able to beat your man and never get beat, uh, be back in position regularly. Defensive midfielder, like, my God, the, the requirements for that position now versus what it used to be are absolutely insane. Like, they need to be fast. They need to tackle really well. They need to have great distribution. They need to be able to transition from attack, uh, defense to attack inside of the center of the pitch and, and be able to dribble a guy. Like, everybody wants... Uh, basically, like Musa Dembele with uh, amazing passing range. <laughs> you telling me it's not okay just to be the oldest player on the team and who runs least? <laughs> the old tradition of like not anymore. <laughs> Jan Mulvey sitting in and just <laughs> just pinging the ball around. John Barnes, John Barnes did that. John Barnes was the most electric winger you'll ever see, like uh, back in the day. And then he ended up just pinging the ball around in central midfield. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that, that that day has passed. What part of digging into stats do you find most interesting? And you can separate for analysis and for writing if you wish. Well, I, for me, it's the, the, there's not a world of difference between those two things because I'm. It's just generally, the thing I I enjoy is literally just I don't know running some scripts or like and putting some data together and then just just eyeballing the results. What have I got here? What have, what what can I see? And then just trying to lift thing, trying to lift ideas out of it. Um, I've done it with my writing for forever. I mean, that's probably powered most of my writing. Like from when I started, I had a spreadsheet, just literally a Premier League shot data, which I I still maintain because it's it's so useful as as a you know as a quick way of just accessing like ideas and trends and all this kind of thing. And um, yeah, and even last night I was working on an idea that I had just to uh, look at something to do with strikers and it was just like right okay i've just got to work out how to put all this together and once i've done that what does it spit out and then you get to you know look at look at the fruits of your labor and see if there's anything interesting or anything surprising on that so my favorite time of year is right about now where we get up to about 10 games and i go into the the completely untouched snow of a new season of data and I search for for player archetypes that we know are useful and valuable. Like I'd love that because there's always new names, and you get to find out different things. Is this guy making the leap, or oh, this guy hasn't really come on this year? I wonder what's going on there. Or this guy has scored exactly as few goals as we expect him to after he was quite good and on a hot streak last year. So I I'd love that period of time. But I guess that's because like I just really enjoy player shopping and and recruitment. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the a lot of people kind of, uh, yeah, spotting spotting the stars of the future. I mean, who who doesn't enjoy that? That's that's the you know the core of of you know even well football football throughout the the ages, and we're just doing it a slightly different way. But anyway, so this is a really interesting question: When clubs buy players, should they throw in some extra cash to buy buy the players' internally recorded data as well? Uh, now, this has never been on offer that I know of, and part of it is like. Can you, you know, have the player bring their medical data with them? And you find this stuff out, like some stuff in medicals as well. But I, I mean, obviously the answer is yes, if it's ever available. I just don't think it's ever been available. 
Um, so, I, but like obviously, more data is good. Um, having kind of historic data, especially if you understand it, is very valuable to you. Whether it's you know in the progress of the player or like you know what their their sort of like cyclicality looks like or anything like that. So yes, the answer is yes. That's a good um, question about data ownership, there, isn't it? I don't want to labour yeah. the point, but like, yeah, you know, I'm a player. I'm, I want to, I'm going to get my big move. My, my physical data is impeccable. Give me my physical data, <laughs> so I can show or it to my. Or no, you can't have my data at all. And <laughs> yeah. that, you're like, oh, well, that's hmm. a red flag. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> all right, now what's this question doing? I, I'm going to ask this question because I, I, I didn't. This is not from me. I, I want to come clean on that. So Harry Kane in five years, Alan Shearer. Or Fernando Torres. Now, see, to me, that's the, the, there's no differential between those two things, because um, Alan Alan Shearer, Premier League's you know probably greatest goal scorer, a fine talent, but in them latter years, he he was less mobile, let's say, than he was in the years before, and uh, he still got a share of goals, a lot of penalties. Um, Torres kind of pitched in with. You know, a small amount of goals as time went on, but it, I think the truth of it was each was uh, far less of player than they were in their uh, youth. Um, I think one of my fears about Harry Kane is that he plays into these thirty-six and is still starting for England or, <laughs> or whatever it is, and, <laughs> and you know, just jogging around up there. Good to see him back in form last night. But anyway, we don't need to labour that point. How, how many shots did England have total? Yeah, like five, and he had one of them. So, like, <laughs> for the, the 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 banter reasons are there if you want them. But two assists, man. I mean, and. The, the one pass was sensational, but true. Um, yeah, th- th- that would be my only concern. That you, you know, he like Alan, Alan Shearer always. He always felt like he had. Um, he he felt that he he believed in his ability and he should always play. And you know, he I mean, he did retire from England eventually, but towards the latter part of his career there, and definitely the latter part of Newcastle, it, it felt like mm, the net gain of him. It was it was just less than it was before, and so I think <laughs> all great strikers, you know, you you can't keep it up forever. That would be my only fear. But five years from now, he will only be twenty nine. You'll still have a bit of bit of nous left in him, yeah, if if not the legs. But so I wanna I wanna be clear that I actually want Harry Kane to succeed. He's one of the first sort of real stats picks that that we went hard on. We're like, look at this guy. Like, he's got amazing shot volume, like, really good uh, XG and non penalty goal scoring stats. Very impressive. Uh, my answer is, which is the, the Fernando Torres theme from the, the old Liverpool Nike ad. Um, I have real concerns that he's hit an injury trough and just isn't going to recover to where he was, which where he was was going to be the best pure forward in, in the world. And I I don't think that that's coming back. People wow. say that that might have been a fluke, but I don't think it was. Like we, you watch him play, and and he was doing everything. And that ankle injury and playing through it, I think has has given him real issues that I'm not sure is going to be. You know, he's going to come back from. Well, I'm uh, having watched him uh, a little bit more recently. I'm seeing signs of uh, the transition back to what he was eh, that's the, yeah the the question remains you know was that season where he had five and a half shots a game or whatever six shots a game an outlier that will not be repeated quite pop quite possibly uh quite possibly anyway um <laughs> the story rages on let's not labor this one we'll, <laughs> we'll come back to it right what question have we got next what factors do you consider when assessing a player's xg chain contribution and the likelihood of translating that to a new team. Play style, role, complementary relationships with teammates. Does this question make any sense? No, First no. of all, yes. No. It makes sense, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Go on. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to answer this really quickly and say that we don't use XG Chain for player evaluations. Yeah, I, I'm i still, like, I can see, from my personal view, like, I like the parts of it. I actually build up XG assist and XG in general. I this is me all over literally. <laughs> give give me one number for uh, an evaluation. I just want to deconstruct it and find out all of its components and then look at all of them. I mean it's it's we we use detail just fine. I think build up is is useful and important in a lot of ways. Um and it it kind of tells you a little bit about somebody's role, which is a little bit of what we we look at. But yeah, we don't use XG chain as a as a pure value anywhere. 
and probably you know <laughs> i apologize if if you are uh, we are not super clear on what we do and don't use because there's competitive advantage in it but you know i like actually chain fine but if you look i think we took it off all the radars right like in the yeah yeah. yeah yeah I, I think that was a, a a decision made for like good reasons like i say it's it's, it's a it's useful as as in it as a whole you know as a quick read but as i said I, I want to look at the components of it more than it as a whole itself it's kind of cool as a game stat though right? and that's that's mm. one reason why we left it in the the passing networks like as a, as a layered game stat to tell you the impact that someone had overall like i think that that there it has value but uh as a as a player analysis tool not so much yeah okay right so how do you use international performance in evaluating players is the same <laughs> same yeah i again i'm i'm not averse to, to to leaving out any data or information whatsoever and i mean a good point about international players is occasionally um that an international game might be the one chance you get to see them perform uh, against a, a higher quality team for a player so you know you'd be remiss to not watch them this part is true and i you know so we for the most part we don't incorporate it uh the big reason is because you don't know what the strength of the opposition is or their own team uh you don't have any sort of sample size to make that make sense uh however you know for places where we don't have enough sample size or where it's intriguing especially in scouting actually we'll often scout the players against the best teams that they will have faced especially we'll know more about those best teams anyway and and so like those are the the really interesting matches how are they faring against the the best talent in their league uh, for international matches, you can find a little bit of that, but for the most part, small sample is something that we try and avoid, and especially when it has the variance of international football. Yeah, sure. I mean, and yeah, I mean, far less from a data perspective, isn't it? It would be something that you'd potentially put into the scouting process. As yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't know. You got you got a kid playing in say Norwegian league, Norway play England. He gets picks, right? Well, let's see. Was he any? Did he pass muster when he was playing against a, a higher quality team? Anyway, you know, that's just a, a theoretical thing. So, right, championship questions now, Ted. Your favourite subject. I really like the championship. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally honest about this. <laughs> so it says, how bad are Ipswich right now and what can be garnered from league upgrade effects? Are we Villa 15-16 bad? Um, uh... Well, not the Premier League, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so from the basic numbers, and championships played 12 games so like that's a, a reasonable sample size of stuff um the bottom of the championship is is tight hollow down there on eight points um but you know their their goal difference or it's goal difference per game is like negative 0.32 which isn't actually very bad and in fact all of the championship is either not very bad or not very good minus maybe two or three teams um the league is even tighter than it than it normally is uh and it often takes forever to sort out um so I don't think Ipswich are that bad. Uh, the question is, I think one of the reasons why Hurst was recruited from Shrewsbury was because like he was a pretty interesting pressing manager. And Shrewsbury didn't have what was perceived as great talent anyway. So it was kind of a, an interesting hire, very different from Mick McCarthy uh, also. So like that's probably not a bad thing. Uh, the owners slash directors of football might have been looking for that. Um, but there are like a number of sort of under and over performers inside of the that championship table right now. Like Forrest is fifth place on 19. Sheffield Wednesday is sixth place, also on 19. And Sheffield Wednesday has the worst expected goal difference in the entire league on our model. Mm. Uh, so not on anything from anybody else's. This is incorporating the pressures and stuff like that. We kind of expect, excuse me, like the Karenkas and the Fighting Pulises to, to overperform. Uh, we'll find out if that sorts out through the rest of the season. But, you know, there, there is an impact on especially pressing coaches. We've mentioned it many times. When you first go to a team, you need a long preseason and you need the, the horses to be able to handle it. The difference between a Mick McCarthy system and, and a pressing system is like night and day. And you need different personnel to, to do both of those. And I can't imagine Ipswich just like making wholesale changes to, to adjust to that. Yeah, I'm I, I can't say I've watched any episodes, so I'm not. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend I know a lot more than than I do. But like, you just look look at the numbers. They look like one of the bad teams in this league at the moment. But there's quite a few teams that look like that. So 
you know are things terminal far from it and like you say new manager 12 games it's a it's a relatively short period of time they obviously could do with picking up a couple of wins quick but that's just it any team picks up a couple of couple of wins quick in this bottom bottom section they're suddenly going to look mm, okay for the you know mid table yeah else. yeah that's the thing so yeah like you say uh team like Sheffield Wednesday or Forest who really don't look pretty on the numbers especially Wednesday's defence looks not good at all and they could easily go a month without a win if they just maintain that performance and then suddenly they'd be back they they could be down in the mix but yeah I I wouldn't I wouldn't be if I was an Ipswich fan I would be concerned but not mortified by the current predicament ooh, um, ooh this reminds me of an analysis fallacy that's been going around like the, the Twitter sphere for the last couple of weeks go on um, so there, somewhere published this thing about how um, making large amounts of changes in your team and or uh, especially during the transfer window, buying a bunch of new players um, often has like an initial negative effect uh, because like the players don't have relationships with each other and it's better to have a stable team and this and that and the other thing. And, and someone produced analysis on this. And I'm just like, your causation is wrong. <laughs> and, and this actually drives Nikos crazy. And I know you've actually been the same way too. They're like, oh, the more stable your team is, then the better it performs. Now flip that around. If you're winning, you're unlikely to change your team. And if you're mm. lucky enough not to have injuries, you get to have your great starting 11 out there on a regular basis. That also probably means that you're probably having good results, so you don't need to change your team. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> this, this rings a bell now. I remember this coming up. It was, it's yeah, it's fraught with uh, difficulties. This kind of but this was like in the context of of Fulham this year and the Premier League, and and I kind of looked at it and said, all right, well, if Fulham had just kept their squad from last year, that was kind of just barely good enough to to scrape into. Um, into the Premier League, it was a tough league. Uh, not sure that like they had some age on them, etc. Like Kevin McDonald doesn't look like he's he's quite Premier League quality. Maybe the bottom end of it. Uh, so they needed more players. Um, so if they just kept that, like you have no no zero case to to study, right? You have no no basic assumption there, aside from well, they had to make a lot of changes. They bought a lot of players, so they're going to be worse. Uh, my counterpoint to this would be like Wolves last year where they brought in a bunch of new players that from all over the world, but they were so much better that they just rocketed to the, the top of the league immediately. And they stayed there for the rest of the time because the players they brought in were so good that it didn't matter. They just, you know, if there was a, a, a negative effect from, from bringing on a bunch of new people, like the quality gap between them and the rest of the league was, was vast enough that they just were good. Um, I, you know, be careful about making big assumptions on, on what's causing negativity or uh, these, these types of studies. I, I have issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Be, be sure that the team that's had three managers in a season will have chopped and changed quite a lot looking looking for that magic formula <laughs> and will have tried every every of age uh, kid in the academy who showed enough promise that to get in the team to try and solve their problems rather we than... talk about it for Premier League winners too right like the Premier League winners are often more stable than almost any other team and part of that's because they're just winning <laughs> yeah and and part of that is because their elite talent hasn't had injuries so that they've had to make a lot of switches and and like those are luxuries. <laughs> like they, they, most most teams do not have that, so therefore they have to make changes, looking for the right right set of guys. Um, yeah, be, yeah. The causation arrow has some problems with that. <laughs> right, Ted. I think is that all our questions? Have we gone through them? That's been. We've good. got two oh, quickies. Oh, sorry. Uh, one. What do the numbers suggest from Bielsa's start at Leeds? And is there cause for optimism? Um, yeah, pretty much. I think they they look best gen- team in the league. Generally, yeah, pretty solid in that league, and. Uh, Again, see how it all shakes out, but I'd be mightily impressed if I was a Leeds fan. Not only does your football look fun, but it looks uh, solid. So, Best team in the league. The only concern is that uh, Bielsa's teams have historically bonked a bit. Um, and you, know, you hope that they don't run out of gas in what is a very long and deep uh, championship season. So yeah, I think, you'll have to be careful about that. I think, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be... I'd, Someone tried to look at that, and uh, I can't remember who it was, but like was less convinced that that um, his teams did just always run out of gas, or whatever it is. However, 
goddamn championship is 46 games so how many people have prepared for a 46 game season like literally people who managing the championship and, and league one league two and that's about it so a little bit of a different test there and what was your last question there uh, uh brentford brentford <laughs> good old brentford uh why do brentford miss so many of their xg chances or high xg chances i suppose so xg chart again showing they should be top or near the top of the division based on xg and once again they're not well i i try to look at this i I don't see an issue. I think they're pretty much running a, similarly alongside their XG. Um, yeah, they're think? not outside of expectation. Uh, they're seventh right now in a league where you know, Sheffield United are first on basically zero shot difference between them and their opponents. XG yeah, yeah. like 0.26. Uh, Brentford are XG of difference of 0.59. The only team technically better than that in the league is Leeds United. Um, I will say that Brentford's goalkeeping issues have cost them some points. Like Reading, the goalkeeper fluffed two goals directly into the net right. almost. And so obviously that's like a three-point difference, right? Or a two-point difference there. I think it ended up 2-2. Um, they had another one where some goalkeeping stuff. And that's why I think Daniels is starting now. Um, so yeah, I you know we're only 12 games in. I say only. Uh, it takes a long time for this division with a lot of parity to sort out. It may even take even longer this year than it normally does. Um, yeah, we'll see though. Uh, they're not wrong in that. Like Brentford have had some horrible stretches previously. Uh, the the question that complicates everything here is they just changed their manager. Uh, Dean Smith has gone to Aston Villa, and I'm not sure that Brentford have named the new replacement. I assume that Thomas Frank will be there, sort of taking the trainings for until someone is re- re- named as a replacement or Thomas Frank is named as a replacement. Uh, we actually think he's pretty good, and uh, and we'll we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, keep an eye on Brentford because you know they they're a good team. Uh, they have some very good young talent and and sort of middle uh, talent that's coming into peak. Uh, we'll see how that that ends up. But you know, right now we don't view them as better than than Bielsa's group. Uh, Leeds probably should win this league over the course of the year. But the fun part about the championship is like they, you never know. I mean, good point about Brentford. You know, it's his first time they've changed their manager in what three years and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we just don't know. You know, if a new manager comes in, and uh, yeah, because I think there, there's a small opinion around that maybe they could have got slightly better out of out of their talent levels. Not that there's anything wrong with what they've achieved in the last uh, few years, but it'll be interesting to test that and uh, to if the new manager can just eke out a few more wins. It's true. Name of the game. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody, to this reader-powered, listener-powered Stats Bomb podcast. Uh, we've got lots more stuff on the site if you're interested, and we'll have some some cool sort of off-peak, off-kilter stuff, uh, including some Scottish uh, Premier League analysis later this week on StatsBomb.com. Thank you for listening. Cheers, bye.